I'm not sure if I'm advocating for belief in ghosts in this episode. Oh, you 100% are. That's totally your personality. (laughs) This is the Exploring the National Parks podcast with Dirt in My Shoes. My name is Ash, and I'm a former park ranger and the founder of Dirt in My Shoes. I think that the parks are best seen from the trail, and I'm here to make national park trip planning easy. And I'm John. I carry the kids on the trails, I tell stories, and notice all the things that Ash doesn't care about much, like trees. Join us as we show you around America's spectacular national parks. We're sharing our favorite places, fun facts, adventures, and misadventures. And we'll even throw in a little trip planning. Let's start exploring. Halloween might just be my second favorite holiday of the whole year. I don't even know how I'm married to you. I hate (laughs) Halloween so much. It's so much fun. I do not like spooky things. I'm the girl who has nightmares just because somebody says the word zombie. Oh my gosh. (laughs) I can't tell you how many times... I've needed to watch Stranger Things or... Well, you like all the M. Night Shyamalan. Is that how you say his name? M. Night Night Shyamalan. (laughs) Shyamalan. M. Night Shyamalan films or The Walking Dead. Any host of scary shows or films, I have to wait till Ash goes to sleep. And then I watch it by myself. (laughs) Yeah. If I even know that he's watching a show about zombies, I dream about zombies. (laughs) Like, that's how bad my nightmares can be. So I know, but I thought it would be fun to do some haunted national park stories for Halloween because they exist. And as I was doing research for this, I was like, oh, no, no. What are we doing? I don't want to do this. I know. I'm so excited. So I passed it over to John to finish up because he is much more into the super, you know, natural, paranormal all that type of stuff. I know. It's going to be awesome. <laughs> so I believe that the national parks are some of the most incredible places. And you also believe that too. But I also think that they're one of the most incredible places for like locations or settings for stories, fiction and nonfiction. So there's some really cool things that have happened in the national parks. And so I'm really excited to kind of explore some of those things today. Because I love Michael Jackson, did you know at the beginning of the music video of Thriller that he had to put like a statement that saying he he did not endorse the occult? Oh, really? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's so funny. It's like, due to my strong personal convictions, I wish to stress that this film in no way endorses a belief in the occult, Michael Jackson. That's what he put on there. That's funny. It's so funny. So I think that this is going to be kind of fun. But just so everybody knows, These stories are based on reports actually coming out of the national parks. I may have storyized them a little bit just to kind of make it kind of fun, though. Great. Expect to have a good time. It's about this. This is supposed to feel kind of like when you're camping as a family, where you're sitting around a campfire and you're like telling a couple of ghost stories. But is there a disclaimer? Are you going to freak kids out? I don't think it should be too freaky. Okay. I think it would be okay. I think we're good. (laughs) He would tell them to our own kids, apparently. (laughs) I would tell them to our own kids. (laughs) And then our kids will stay up all night with nightmares. Yeah, well, this is just going to be... Like I said, this is all based on true stories. They are. And there were a lot of stories that we found. And so this is going to be kind of an ongoing 
Halloween tradition, I think, for the podcast. Yeah, I think because so too. we don't have we don't have enough time to do all of them. We're going right. to do a handful today, and then you'll just have to wait until next Halloween to get a few more. Right, and we don't have enough traditions either. I love traditions. Yeah, things that we just keep haunted doing. national parks podcast every Halloween. Yes. Okay, here's ah. our first one of the tradition. <laughs> okay, so like I said a minute ago, I love stories, fiction and nonfiction. And so what's kind of fun about this area that we're kind of looking into is that you're never really sure which side of it's on. It's kind of in the middle. Some people will dismiss any type of supernatural, paranormal ghost story as false, saying that it doesn't have any merit on its face. But I think one of the best parts about the national parks, the many supernatural stories that come from reputable sources. And I think that's really neat. So what do you do? You don't believe in ghost stories. But when someone telling you the story is someone you know or someone you know to be trustworthy, it kind of puts you into kind of a uncomfortable place a little bit, doesn't it, Ash? Sure. Yeah, <laughs> I'm always uncomfortable whether I trust the person or not. <laughs> I just don't like hearing the stories. But oh uh, No, it's going to be fun. Well, this first one, a story that seems out there but is coming from a reputable source. So with that in mind, let's head to Yosemite National Park. It's our first stop on our Haunted National Park tour, where we will hear from a man named Galen Clark. The year is 1857. The country is on the brink of civil war, and states and alliances are settling in for a long and deadly war. Out west, however, one man, Galen Clark, is looking for a little bit of peace and solitude. His first visit to the Yosemite area was in 1855, as a part of a pioneer tourist party. A couple years later, things couldn't be more different for him because he had suffered a really major lung hemorrhage and he had to quit his job. He had to change his whole life, basically. And he got to the point where he's like, I have to make a decision. I either have to cure what I'm suffering from or I just need to find a place in the mountains to live out the rest of my days. Whatever choices led him to where he was in 1857, he actually found himself the owner of a nice little property near Wawona. Just outside of the south entrance of Yosemite. Exactly. And so Wawona is a really great place. And in one of the best parts of Wawona is the fact that you're really close to Mariposa Grove. That's one of our favorite places, I think, in Yosemite. Mm -hmm. At least for me, loving the big trees, I love the Wawona area. Well, Galen... Clark loved the mountains. He found himself wandering their paths frequently. And whether or not the mountains cured him, nobody knows. But he did spend the rest of his days here, and he ended up living well into his 90s. He especially loved giant sequoias, and he spent a lot of his life advocating for their protection. This was before the National Park Service existed, but he served as the park's official guardian for around 30 years. And visitors to the area would often stop by his home and share a meal with him so that he could tell them about the plants, the animals, geology, and even the Native American history of the area. And he was obviously a trustworthy source of information and a well-respected individual. Mm -hmm. So you agree? You would I like, agree. He was. Yeah. yeah. He's a pretty legit guy. Yeah. There's some really <laughs> early pictures of him. He looks like an early mountain man. Yeah. He's awesome. Those, those are goals for John. <laughs> yes, I know. This guy is awesome. He would love to wander around Yosemite telling people about things. <laughs> <laughs> this is where our haunted story begins. 
Now, Ash, imagine with me, you're in one of those early groups of families that are going to visit Yosemite or to go visit the mountains in that area. And your family decides to stop, like many families did, at Galen Clark's house to share a meal or to have him tell you about the area. The sun has dipped behind the trees, and the light around Galen's home is starting to wane. You've just shared a nice meal, and your family and yourself are about to turn in for the night. Galen lights up a lamp so that he can see as he starts to gather up the remains of the meal. But your younger brother, Brian, who is famous for being kind of an idiot, says, It must be kind of creepy being out here all alone. Have you ever seen anything scary? Do you ever hear anything in the forest at night? Now, Ash doesn't actually have a brother named Brian. but <laughs> Is Brian real? Brian's not real. No. <laughs> We're just imagining okay. this. Okay, We're setting the stage. Galen stops what he's doing. He puts the lamp down on the table and sits back into his chair. And after a moment of combing his beard with his hands, he begins to speak. Not that long ago, last fall in fact, I was out exploring the forest. I was heading towards my favorite area. I call it Grouse Lake. It is in an incredibly gorgeous area, and it's one of my favorite places anywhere in these mountains. Anyways, as I was hiking around, out of nowhere, right near the lake, I hear this high-pitched scream or, or a howl, whatever it was. Anyways, I thought it was probably an injured animal. I decided I would look around for the poor creature and maybe help it out of its misery. Well, I looked and looked and I looked, but I never found the thing. So... Having looked around for a long time, I just eventually decided to head back home. On my way back home, I noticed a Native American hunting camp. I'm friendly with the locals, so I stopped in to ask them about it. I said, have you gentlemen come across a wounded animal? I heard its frantic crying, but I did not find it. After describing where I was, they suddenly seemed a bit uneasy. One of them looked at me and said, that was no animal. What you heard was a spirit. The man went on to say that long ago, a boy from their tribe fell into that lake and drowned. But his spirit is still there, just restless and lonely. Now he cries out to people as they pass by the lake, hoping that the person will come and try to help him. And sometimes, if they come too close, his spirit will grab the person by the ankles and drag them to the bottom of the lake, just so that they can keep him company. With that, I excused myself, wished them luck on their hunt, and made my way home. There were a lot of things about that story that I could probably explain away. Maybe it was just an animal. Maybe they just wanted to scare me. But Galen looked at him in the eyes and said, What I can't explain is that I haven't been the only one to hear the screaming. And scene. <laughs> It's true. There are records of him saying that he has heard the screaming Native American boy yep. on the shores of Grouse Lake in Yosemite National Park. Yeah. Tell me you wouldn't sleep well that night. I would not After sleep well, and I will never <laughs> hike to Grouse Lake. So That is one <laughs> part of the park. for me. I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> that is the one part of Yosemite that dirt in my shoes will never have any information on. <laughs> I will never cover that. <laughs> that sounds too freaky. Oh my gosh. It is kind of freaky. But I mean, even if you're a skeptic, if you knew Galen and he shared with you that story, 
he heard the voice. Mm-hmm. He heard it. He's a trustworthy source. So what do you do with that as a skeptic? You don't hike to Grouse Lake. You don't hike to Grouse Lake. <laughs> <laughs> and, but there have been other reports, not just Galen. There have been other reports of people hearing a voice or a, a screaming or a howling around Grouse Lake. So it is still, it's one of the paranormal and supernatural things about Yosemite National Park. Very cool. All right. Moving on. So we've already moved, talked about what do you do with the, I'm not sure if I'm advocating for belief in ghosts in this episode. Oh, you 100% are. That's <laughs> totally your personality. John okay. believes in ghosts 100%. I do. I do. Never mind. I was going to tell a story about the other night, but I'll oh. leave it alone. Oh my gosh. He thought there was a ghost at our house. <laughs> and he has this like Celtic cross decoration on his desk. We're very heavily Celtic. <laughs> Uh, our families are and anyway he has this celtic cross and he was like wandering through the house holding his celtic cross looking for the ghost listen so our son our oldest son was having piano lessons and the door just blew open okay and then ash had an, an experience like the music changed on her phone and i didn't do it it did it was a little freaky i'm not gonna <laughs> lie i was listening to a podcast and then all of a sudden it like started playing it sounded like haunted house music. I that's the only way I can describe it. And then the pod like the podcast shut off and my phone played haunted house music for like eight seconds and then it stopped. And it was just silent. And, and I re- thought John was playing a trick on me. Which my, I have done before. Yeah, because my turned phone off, was in the other room. I've turned off her music and just played like accordion music or something like yeah. that for her or something that I thought would just bug her for the rest of her shower. But this time <laughs> she like comes into my office. And she's like, did you turn off my music? And I'm like, no. And put on haunted house music. <laughs> That's like a n- nasty joke. But yeah, so John. <laughs> so I wandered around the house with my cross and I <laughs> tried to scare away any ghosts. Gosh. It was great. All right. So that was a little personal, <laughs> but, uh, but it did happen yep. just a few days ago. All right. Moving on from Yosemite. Let's continue our haunted national parks tour. So, we've talked about trusted sources, but what about stories that kind of take on a life of their own? Maybe like stories that make it into local folklore, despite admissions of it being false or despite somebody's counterclaims. There's actually an episode of Psych that is one of my absolute favorites, where Sean and Gus accidentally start an urban legend about Scary Sherry. (laughs) It's so funny. Anyways... Turns out they were totally mistaken about what happened, but the urban legend still lives on. Mm-hmm. I think almost every community has its own little urban legends. But despite maybe counterclaims or people saying that it's not really real, there's still doubts there. So that takes us to Yellowstone at the Old Faithful Inn. Which the- is already a little creepy, I'm going <laughs> to lie. <laughs> yes. That place has the ambiance. <laughs> That you need for a great ghost story. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's so good. The year is 1915. Yellowstone itself is a legendary place, basically being the perfect illustration of hell on earth, with sulfur in the air and boiling water shooting out of the earth, boiling pools everywhere. And one of the creepiest things in my mind is the dead forests that linger years and years, even decades after their lives have been snuffed out, 
by the shifting or spreading of geyser activity. Anyways, it was here that two newlyweds found themselves back in 1915. The National Park Service hadn't been organized yet, but Yellowstone was an epic location for people even then to come and visit. And what a better place to spend than your honeymoon. Well, I'm sure that just like most visitors, they were blown away by the sights and sounds and smells of Yellowstone. And to stay in the Yellowstone Inn? What a treat! They checked into room 127. Note that room, by the way, (laughs) if you ever want to stay in the Old Faithful Inn. If they assign you to 127, <laughs> run. Eventually the hotel just changes it from 126 to 128. <laughs> I wrote I wrote 127 in my notes so that from here on forth, if I ever stay at that inn and they try to give me that room, uh-uh, I'm not going to be duped into that. I know what happened in that room. No, thank you. Uh, I'd like a non-ghosting room, please. <laughs> the story doesn't tell how long they stayed. But the longer they were there, the more the couple's mood seemed to change. They were no longer the happy-go-lucky couple they once were. Their smiles and cheery hand-holding morphed into angry looks and hissed words. Some said that they were having money problems. Or maybe the hellish landscape was affecting them in ways that other people seemed immune to. Maybe the legends were true that evil spirits roamed the geyser basins, causing the boiling water and the violent eruptions. Finally, one night, the facade of a happy couple finally dropped, and the couple began arguing out in the open. People all over the hotel could see and hear them yelling at each other. The arguing continued all the way into their room, where the door slammed and all went quiet. Room 127. (laughs) Yes. Apparently, they still had a few days left in their stay, but the next morning, the man got in their car and drove away. He never returned. A couple days went by, but nothing was seen of the couple. Maybe embarrassed by their little tiff, they decided it better to come and go whenever nobody was watching. Finally, their stay came to an end. Checkout came and nobody saw them. That wasn't anything out of the ordinary, though, as housekeeping entered room 127. That afternoon, to clean the room, everything seemed normal. Take off the sheets, vacuum the floor, grab the brush to clean the toilet. But as the housekeeper opened the bathroom door and flicked on the lights, suddenly the wife's body came into view, lying in the tub. Nothing out of the ordinary, except that she was missing something very important. Her head. Yeah. (laughs) Nothing out of the ordinary. She's just headless. In 1983, 68 years after the events supposedly took place, an assistant manager at the inn admitted to making the whole thing up. However, people have claimed to see the bride floating around the inn crying and upset. And while it is questionable whether the murder actually happened, the story has indeed become part of the local folklore. I actually, I saw one version where she walks the catwalk oh. or the, the widow's walk uh-huh. uh, up at the top of the hotel, which does exist. Right. She walks it holding her head. And then there's other stories that say they never found the head. Ooh. But crazy. they see the woman. And then there's stories about <laughs> <laughs> hearing children crying, ghost children 
crying in the night. Right. Totally unrelated to this story, but it fits. It does. With how kind of creepy that hotel can be. Right. Well, seriously, though, <laughs> I mean, how can you deny that this stuff happened in 1915? You can't deny it 68 years later. Right. He That's was on what... his deathbed. That was like his final confession. Exactly. I made the whole thing up. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I don't know. That's why that's like where you you kind of wonder like some of these urban legends and this is now like a Yellowstone urban legend like yeah, somebody has denied it and kind of said that it's not true. But What is it? But you kind of question the denial. That's why I say I will not stay in room 127. <laughs> I don't care if the story was true or not. Uh-huh. <laughs> but uh I have a, a healthy respect for myself that I'm not going to find out by staying in that room. Oh, yeah. I don't think I can do that. I don't even think I could like, sir, this is the only room available. And I'm carrying my cross around the room. <laughs> no, we wouldn't sleep a wink. <laughs> not a chance. I just lay there listening to the room creak. What was that? Well, the thing is, I mean, and that's the thing. This hotel... It is creaky. Oh, it's so creaky. There's a clock, like in the main room, that... (laughs) Like, you'll hear that all night. And so it is, like I said, it's the perfect place for a story like that because it already kind of lends itself to... Like, you can feel the history. Yeah. You can feel how old it is. Oh, yeah. And there's creaky pipes and creaky floors and... All of it. So, I mean, it's perfect. I don't mind staying there. I just will not stay in 127. Or 28 or 25 <laughs> yeah. or 26. Any, anything close to that number where they might have fudged. Do you have anything in the twos? I actually so, wonder if they even have like 127 as a room number anymore. Well, that's what I was saying. We got to go check it out. We'll go check it out next time we're there. If you get to Yellowstone before us and go to the lodge... Go tell us if there's actually a room 127. <laughs> We're just like creeping through the lodge. Like, I don't know. So oh, let us know. But we'll check next time we're there. Yes. Just to be sure. I'm going to wear my Ghostbusters outfit. Yeah. You know, as, I, as I'm wandering the hotel at night. <laughs> and how many of us think that John actually has a Ghostbusters outfit? Oh, man. Like, there's will... a high possibility that you have one. I'm not going to. I'm not going to admit or deny <laughs> Fiction or nonfiction, whether that's true. So we've talked about trustworthy sources. We've talked about urban legends. Now let's talk a little bit about local folklore and legends that might not necessarily be coming from the community at large. They might just be coming from somebody that has your best interest at heart. Somebody that actually cares about you, like a family member, or in this case, a trusted member of your tribe. The next situation brings us to the Great Smoky Mountains. And honestly, the spookiness is already in the name. It's perfect. I love the Smoky Mountains. There's some creepy places in the Smokies. I will talk about this after. You can tell the story first, but... (laughs) Okay. So nothing stirs my imagination more, honestly, than like thick fog or like a mist that's filling the air, kind of blocking my view, because I'm always wondering, what can't I see? What's there? What is wandering in there? What's waiting? And 
we're going to go back in time for this story. Let's go back in time before the revolution, before Plymouth Rock even, before the Cherokee had even seen a white man. Walea had just turned six years old. She was the youngest in her family and had several older brothers and sisters. Walea was an energetic little girl. Her mother often said that if names truly give power, she would go back and name her something different since her name fits her far too well. Walea just happens to mean hummingbird. Walea often got bored sitting at home. Her mother and older sisters were often busy weaving clothes and rope while her father and brothers got to go out into the fields or went hunting. She hated sitting. Learning how to weave and all the other things mother wanted to teach her was so boring. Today, she was especially flighty, and mother didn't have the patience. Walea loved days like today. Mother sent her out and told her not to go out of the side of the village. Happy about being sent away, Walea skipped to the edge of the village. Her favorite place was the nearby waterfall, but she knew it was a little too far. But she thought, maybe if I go there first thing, mother will never know. I'll be back in the village before she even comes looking for me. So off she went, skipping along the way. When she got to the waterfall, she was the only one there. She threw a few rocks, dipped her toes in the water, and then her favorite thing. She loved putting her head underwater and blowing bubbles. So she did. And it was awesome. So she did it again and again and again. But the third time, when she came out of the water and she wiped the water away from her face, she suddenly noticed an old woman sitting on a rock near the edge of the pool. Startled, Walea stumbled and slipped a little deeper into the water than she intended and bonked her knee on a rock. It hurt so bad that Alea wanted to cry, and she did, and the pain was almost all that she could think about. The old woman looked a bit sympathetic and gave her a sad face and said, Oh, are you okay? That looks like it hurt. Come here, I'll help you feel better. Walea felt a bit comforted, knowing that a grown-up was there to help her. Hugs always helped her feel better. As the old woman moved towards her, though, her face changed a bit. Her expression went from sympathetic to anxious almost like how her brother's face looked right before mother finished cooking an elk. Then, as the old woman reached out to grab her, Walea caught a glimpse of her hands and her skin. Her skin was gray and cracked, almost resembling some of the rocks around them, and her fingers, oh, her fingers, not all of them, but some of them, especially the pointer finger. It was three times as long as the others, and it looked more like a knife than a finger, with a sharp edge like a needle. Suddenly, Walea's knee didn't hurt anymore. The only thing on her mind were those long fingers. She jumped back and splashed water at the old woman. This obviously startled the old lady, but she kept coming forward. One benefit of being six is that you're pretty light on your feet, and being named after a hummingbird, Walea was extra light. She quickly hopped away, landing lightly as she made her way along the rocks the old woman splashing after her. Walea let out a scream as she ran. This seemed to give the old woman some pause, and she stopped in her tracks. Walea kept screaming as she ran. Finally, she was about to turn the corner where she could see the village. Before she did, 
She turned her head to see where the old woman was. But she was gone. She kept running all the way to her mother's arms. Some in the village came out of their homes to see what was going on. Walea told them what happened, and a few of the men grabbed their weapons and headed into the woods, muttering, Spearfinger, as they went. The old woman, skin made of stone, with fingers as sharp as a knife, who lures little children away from their home and makes a meal where the children are the main course. <laughs> yeah. Spear finger. Spear finger. Spear finger. I think there's a lot of really interesting legends and stuff like that all around the national parks. And it kind of reminds me a little bit of Hansel and Gretel. But this one, Spear Finger, has a really special flavor of creepy about it, if you ask me. It does. And it's a particular part of Great Smoky Mountains down on the North Carolina side. And hmm. it's a particular trail. Right. But people say they see Spearfinger in this area. Right. So it's not even a long, long time ago. It's, <laughs> it's this particular part of Great Smoky Mountains National Park. I know. It's so creepy. And, that, and so the legend and, like, and things like that, they tell their children, don't wander too far off or Spearfinger will get you. Huh? Kind of a thing. And so not only in Great Smokies do you have to worry about black bears, but there's no spray for a rock-skinned super creepy fingered woman you know <laughs> i saw too uh sometimes they say that her finger is so long and sharp that she uses it to cut out their liver Ugh. so yikes yeah she doesn't want to eat the whole child right just the liver just the liver yeah mm, so. different versions but really that park is perfect for ghost stories there's actually a, a ghost town if you will at Elkmont, mm -hmm. right by the campground, you kind of go up further beyond the campground. And it's this old area where it used to be a vacation destination, like vacation homes, right. basically in this beautiful treed area. And it was abandoned. Yeah. The Park Service has started like restoring some of these. They're cleaning it up and stuff. But the first time we went to the Smokies, I don't know if you remember this. Yeah. I was freaked out, man. Oh, yeah. It was so creepy. We went there kind like of in the, the evening. Yeah. It was like the end of the day and there was nobody else out there. And the trail that we were hiking, you start at the ghost town and you hike into the mountains a little ways. But what we didn't realize is because the ghost town actually is pretty, it was pretty big. We parked at the ghost town and then we started hiking. And we were passing abandoned homes for yeah. a while. Oh, it and felt we weren't even, I didn't even think we were going to walk through the ghost town because there was another part of it mm -hmm. that we'd already passed and, and seen. We were hiking among these houses. And I was just like looking around everywhere, <laughs> like, oh my gosh. Spear figures living yeah, in one of these. I know like it. it. Oh my gosh. It felt like it was so creepy. And then they actually, so that that first time was. I think the first time we went to the Smokies was 2016-ish. It's been seven or eight years. Yeah. But since then, they've actually knocked down all those houses uh -huh. because they were just beyond saving, beyond repair. Kind of a hazard. But they were like, that was the freakiest 
place I've ever been yeah. <laughs> when I've been hiking oh, in yeah. the national parks. It was so dystopian feeling. It was creepy. Yeah. yeah. It was it was really creepy. So it's it was perfect ambiance. It was the perfect October hike. It was to go through an oh abandoned gosh. town like we that. were there in October. It That's was, right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was yeah. so good. Halloween was was approaching and I've not been to the part where they say Spearfinger is. That's down by Fontana Dam right. on the North Carolina side. We'll have to do that sometime, maybe. Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Oh, my gosh. On a different note regarding the Fontana Dam, there's another dam just a little bit further away from Fontana Dam. That dam is where they filmed the movie The Fugitive when Harrison Ford jumps off the dam. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's really cool. I didn't murder my wife. I don't care. You know, and he jumps off. It's pretty cool. So if you want to know, if, you, if you're in that area, you want to be in that area, but you want something kind of cool to do after you hike where Spearfinger might get you, then you can go see where The Fugitive was filmed. <laughs> There's also another ghost that lives right there. There's another story. Oh, seriously? Mm -hmm. That same area. They say you can see the light from the one ghost and Spearfinger like in the same trail. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's so, so crazy. I will not be going there. Again, you can see how, how wimpy I get when it comes to ghost stories, but... We'll give you the wand that we got at Universal, and then you can just, expecto patronum, <laughs> you know, and you'll be protected. Right. You'll be just fine. Right. What do you think your Patronus would be? What creature? Oh, I've never, I've literally never thought about it because pretty... I'm not that nerdy. <laughs> <laughs> it's a pretty deep question. It is. It is. I don't know. Okay. I'll have to update you guys when I decide. I think that it would be a pika. Oh, <laughs> that's not going to scare anything away. Pika, the one from Monty Python. <laughs> Monty Python pika. No. That'd be no, kind of deadly. There's, there's got to be something better. Okay. This is our last story. Our last haunted area. So we've talked about a few different aspects of taking a supernatural claim seriously. But one thing that is really hard to dismiss is multiple claims where eyewitnesses don't know each other, they weren't there at the same time, and yet they witnessed the same phenomenon. This brings us to one of the probably the most perfectly haunting locations within the national park system, Mammoth Cave. Mm -hmm. Oh, caves, man, they just have it. They have it perfectly for this kind of thing. Have what you been in a cave when you're not on a tour? Because I worked at Oh, you, a cave. yes, that's true. <laughs> yeah, I worked at a cave in the National Park System. And as a ranger, we get to go a lot of places. Mm -hmm. And also, when we're done with our tours, like the way that it worked there is I would finish up my tour because it, it was a long cave. And so people would enter and exit different places. And so I would let my group out on the one side, but then I would go back through the cave. Mm -hmm. It was faster to get back through the cave to start my next tour. And so I wandered the cave. By yourself. By myself a lot. I mean, every once in a while I would pass another tour, but it was mile, you know, mile and a half or so of just nice. me wandering a cave. Would you ever have to turn the lights off at night, like at the end of the day or uh -huh. something? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And I would not say that I experienced anything paranormal, mostly because I was so freaked out anyway. 
<laughs> like I didn't do I don't do well in caves by myself. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it was just like I would like sing to myself. I would just like I'd be running through as fast as I, I can't tell you how many times I hit my head on something, but you wear your ranger hat, you know, as protection. Right. Exactly. So anyway, these stories freaked me out in Mammoth Cave because I was like, oh, oh no, 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 no. Nope, you will never find me in a cave by myself. Not that cave. Right. <laughs> Ever again, especially. Right. Oh my gosh. Well, oh, so, okay, anyway. so like along the lines of, so you didn't experience anything supernatural, but regardless of the cave that I've been in, before I had been in a cave and actually had a ranger turn out the lights, I'm not sure that I had really ever experienced darkness like that. No, that's why it's so cool when they do it because mm -hmm. there are very few places you can go and not have a single ray of light coming through yeah. at all. Oh, yeah. Well, in, in all the movies in Hollywood or any movie that you ever see on TV or anything like that, a show on TV, when they're in a cave or something along those lines, there's always like some type of sliver of light from above when it's it's just like gray inside mm -hmm. but when you actually are in the caves and they turn out the lights on you if you hold still and you don't move it's almost like you're just a consciousness floating in the universe it makes me uncomfortable yeah like not like i'm scared uncomfortable but like it feels like I'm I'm sleeping, but I'm not. Uh-huh. And you can feel yourself, but you can't see anything. Right. And I, it's like, I'll like open and close my eyes. And it's just like, my body is like, cannot compute, cannot <laughs> compute. And I'm just like, ah, turn the lights back on. Yeah. Oh, my God. My eyes are open and I can't see. And I don't like that. It's very uncomfortable. Yeah. So oh, it's really it's, interesting. It's a really cool experience. It's, it's otherworldly. Yeah. But despite caves being so otherworldly, people have found themselves in here or the human history of a lot of caves actually goes really far back. And Mammoth Cave is no exception to that. The human history, like I said, is really long. But within that human history, there are a few really haunting sections. And we're the story is going to focus on one of them. But what's incredible is is that Mammoth Cave itself has caused or has received reports of more than 150 mysterious paranormal things happening. And a lot of them refer back to this one event, this one thing that happened within the cave. So, <laughs> I just can't. I can't. <laughs> so, I can't. It's the making of nightmares. So let me take you back, Ash. <laughs> I already let, know what it is, and I don't. Let me take you back to 1842. Modern medicine is still in its infancy, and most medicines seem to be a concoction of opium mixed with herbs, and a saw is in the bag of every traveling doctor. Tuberculosis is one of the most feared and common diseases of the day. Many a doctor has an idea of how to cure the white plague, as they call it, and most of them get it wrong. The most recognizable and dreaded symptom of tuberculosis is a hacking cough that eventually starts and never goes away. In 1839, a doctor, John Krogan of Louisville, Kentucky, has a theory. He believes that if you can give people with tuberculosis a steady temperature, humidity, and weather, 
that would allow the body to heal itself and get over the disease. Plus, the good doctor himself has noticed that wood and dead animals and other things that are in the cave rarely decay, or at least take forever to decay. So there has to be something to this. So he bought Mammoth Cave for $10,000, bent on curing this awful disease that had affected so many of his countrymen. Down in the cave, he built what seems like a small village, several little wooden cabins, and two stone cottages. He invited 16 patients with tuberculosis to the cave and set them up real nice. A fire was constantly going. At the time, a lot of the people working for the doctor were slaves. And the slaves brought these patients their food from above into the cave. And above all, a constant and stable temperature, weather, and humidity was going for these patients in the cave. But there was always a constant, unyielding darkness that surrounded them at every turn. At first, things seemed to be going really well. The patients seemed to be on the road to recovery. Everybody was in high spirits, nobody more so than the doctor himself, thinking he was this close, this close, to curing one of the world's worst diseases. Then things seemed to turn. Whether it was the disease just getting worse, the cold, the unfamiliar surroundings, or the unrelenting darkness, I think one of the slaves actually said it best. I think his name was Alfred. I used to stand on that rock and blow the horn to call them to dinner. There were 15 of them then, and they looked more like a company of skeletons than anything else. The patients were not doing well. This wasn't just testified to by the doctor and the slaves that brought them the food, but tourists were still being allowed to tour the cave with all of the tuberculosis patients in it. Surprised tourists would often happen upon these ghostly patients in hospital gowns as they walked along dark passageways, or they could hear the terrible, echoing coughing in the distance. Many patients eventually asked to leave, but Dr. Krogan was so sure that his idea would cure them, eventually only one returned to the surface against the good doctor's wishes. As days turned into weeks, things went from bad to worse. Five of the patients that stayed ended up succumbing to the disease and died within the cave. After a patient died, they would pull them out of the cabins or cottages and they would put their body on a nearby rock. Here, the deceased would stay until somebody came to pull their body out of the cave and give them a proper burial. This rock eventually became known as Corpse Rock. Eventually, the doctor came to his senses and abandoned the idea that the cave would heal these people, and he pulled all of the survivors out of the cave and tore down all of the wooden cabins. As fate would have it, the good doctor eventually contracted the same disease, and it took him. Several years later, he left the stone cottages, and you can still see them today if you visit the historic Broadway area of Mammoth Cave. But still, there is another thing that remains in the cave to this very day. The stone where the bodies of the dead were lain while they waited for their burial. Corpse Rock. This is also where many visitors claim to have heard coughing echoing from the darkness. Their bodies were taken to the surface. 
but do their spirits remain? Yes. <laughs> yes, they do. Shuffling in their hospital gowns as they water the dark paths of the cave. We'll never know. We will. <laughs> <laughs> they do. <laughs> oh my gosh. There have been many, many reports of tourists or visitors to Mammoth Cave hearing coughing coming from this area and having no idea where it came from. Echoes in the dark. And it's funny because I personally have not heard the coughing or seen the ghost patients. Uh huh. But it's still kind of eerie in that area. Oh, yeah. Like when you're walking through it on your tour and you're looking at, oh my gosh, this used to be an underground hospital. And <laughs> right. Could you imagine spending months in there? No. Honestly, having people just bringing you your food, but seriously, walking around in this incredibly complete dark cave. It blows me away. I don't know. I, I just... <laughs> it does. I know. It gives me the creeps. <laughs> Definitely gives but me the creeps. But if you get the chance to tour Mammoth Cave, it's awesome. Oh, yeah. It's, it's incredible. It's so cool. This is a different story that we'll cover in a different Halloween episode. But they do a tour. Which I did last year. That you did. Mm -hmm. What's it called? The Violet City Lantern Tour. Right. And so you go in with your own lantern. They don't light it with artificial lights. You're actually carrying a lantern. Right. Super cool. Most caves do a tour like that. Yeah. It's so neat. It, it's actually a really cool experience. But you're seeing the cave like a lot of these patients saw the cave. And that's when a lot of people have these supernatural experiences that's when the hauntings happen yeah exactly that's when you get the heck out of dodge man you don't know where to go you're at the tour guide's mercy exactly so oh man so much fun like i said a lot of these national parks around the country have stuff like this and they're well documented and a lot of them either come from a very trustworthy source some of them are urban legend status, but a lot of them have many, many reported sightings just like here in Mammoth Cave. Mm -hmm. And so if this is your thing, the national parks are your thing. This is just one really cool aspect of the national parks and a fun, different, eerie way to experience the parks. And each one has their own flavor of creepiness to them. This is just a heck of a lot of fun. Happy Halloween, friends. Thanks for exploring the national parks with us. Please share, like, and subscribe. And if you need any help planning your own trip, click on over to dirtinmyshoes.com. See you next week. Same time, same place. And don't forget to get some dirt in your shoes. <laughs>